This Week at Hope Point. In our own lives. The scriptures are great when we feel hopeless, but the moment a more practical solution appears, it's like we put this thing back on the shelf. Paul says, uh uh, salvation is all or nothing. Either you're going to stay on board and you're going to trust God's promise and his promise alone, or you're going to take matters into your own hands and you're going to perish. This is the way it has to be. Because the truth is, brothers and sisters, God is determined that when he brings you through that typhon of a storm and when you get to the other side on the day of salvation, guess who and who alone is going to get the glory? Him. That's the way it's got to be, Paul says. You're just going to have to sit on board and wait for him to save you. We have all experienced seasons in life where the storms and waves seem to never end. We ask ourselves what God is doing, why He would allow so much pain, and we try any way possible to save ourselves instead of trusting in His promises and believing He will use the storm for our good and His glory. Let's listen to what Chad has to say to us from Acts 27. Good morning. It's great to be with you all. I bring you greetings from Christ the Redeemer Church over in downtown Greenville. And uh, if you think about it, you can be praying because as we sit here, my wife has six little ones she's trying to wrangle and keep quiet uh, in a pew somewhere on the other side of Greenville. So you can pray for her and you can be thankful that she's being faithful to take care of them while I can be freed up to open God's word with you. And I want to say thank you to Richard, his kindness in sharing this pulpit with me and giving me the opportunity to serve you. And I also just want to give thanks to the Lord because it is a privilege to be able to serve his people and to worship God by opening up this word and seeking to encourage us to believe what we find here and to live it. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. It comes after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. So it falls after the resurrection of Jesus. And the Acts is really the story of Jesus goes into heaven. Now he's seated on an eternal throne. The whole world, the whole cosmos belongs to him. But not everybody knows that yet. <laughs> and so he sent his apostles and his church, the Holy Spirit. And Acts is the story of how the Spirit is filling all nations and all nations are being drawn to Jesus. Well, the second half of the book of Acts is largely uh, consumed with retelling the epic journey of a man named Paul. And Acts 27 puts us on the briny decks of an Alexandrian ship with Paul. We feel the gusts of the winds. We feel the sinking sense of despair. We hear the thunder. We look up into the sable skies and we experience with Paul what it's like to pray and to have the only response to be pelted by the rain. Friends, as we look at this story together, I want us to be thinking about this question. What do we do in seasons of life when we feel at sea, lost at sea, away from friends where the final fair haven has been left long in the past and we're on a sinking ship or what feels like a sinking ship in the midst of a hurricane. And then slowly it feels like God is stripping everything away, the few things you have left, and you feel utterly alone. 
and nobody understands your struggle. Nobody listens. Whether it's you lose a job or you're a student and it seems like you're bombing every class and nobody cares or you've just been diagnosed with some serious illness or your church is in dire straits or you've just lost a loved one. What do we do when life isn't friends and fair havens? This morning in Acts 27, we watch Paul's circumstances as they go from pretty okay, excited about the beginning to, uh-oh, to this is terrifying, to things could not get any possibly worse. When the seas boil and the winds whistle and the hopelessness of weeks lost at sea begins to chill you to the very soul. When life is not friends and fair havens, this is what we have to remember. The same Jesus who was with his disciples in the midst of the storm is going to be with Paul this morning in the midst of the storm. Is going to be with you and with me in the midst of whatever storm you may be facing this morning. Why don't we pick up our story beginning in verse 1 of Acts 27. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking on a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. So if you know anything about the life of Paul, this is like the moment we've been waiting for for two years. Paul has been waiting patiently two years in prison. His whole life has been leading up to this moment. All of his training, his experience has prepared even his calling. Paul to go to Rome and preach the good news to the emperor of the whole known inhabited world at the time, Caesar himself. In fact, the Lord Jesus came and stood right next to Paul in chapter 23. And he said, take courage, for you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. So now you must testify about me in Rome. So verse 1, 2, and 3, it's like that feeling when you've been waiting for a summer vacation all year. And you finally got all the luggage in the car and things strapped on the back and the bikes on the trunk and everything and you get in there and you turn the key and you know something good is about to happen. Or maybe you've been in college for four years and you finally got your job, your first job and you sit down in your desk day one and you fire up the computer and you just know this is the beginning of something good. Or you've been in seminary, you've been training and you get called by a church and you finally get up on your first Sunday to preach your first official sermon and you're just sure God has something great planned. Well, that's the, the way that Paul must have felt. Everything's going well. They found a ship. It's headed in the right direction. They're going to just hit some ports along the coast of modern day Turkey. And then it's just a hop, skip, jump across Greece to mainland Italy and up to Rome. And how about that? We're even told that his jailer has given him the liberty to go and visit some friends along the way. Things are going swell. 
for about one day. Let's look at verse 4. And putting out to sea from there, from Sidon, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myre in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Cnidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salamone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Let's continue reading verse 9. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo of the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So finally, after years of waiting and anticipating and hoping, they begin their journey, and it seems like the Lord's prospering them. Everything's floating along. And suddenly, everything just started to get a lot harder. Verse 4, Paul's, uh, Luke writes, the winds were against us. Verse 7, we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty. Verse 8, coasting along it with difficulty. Verse 9, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous. And then they arrive at a place called Fair Havens and it seems like, you know what? Let's just put this journey on pause and we'll wait for things to get better. You know, we can winter here and we can wait for more uh, favorable weather. But of course, things couldn't be that simple. The majority overrules Paul's good advice and they drag Paul along with them. And so we can picture Paul and the last fair haven is fading from view. And we can imagine him on board the ship. Lord, I have been patient. I've endured persecutions and stonings and beatings. I sat in jail for two years waiting and now finally, here we are making some progress and God, you are making it next to impossible. God, what is wrong with you? You've set the winds against us. You're blowing us off course. Everything's so difficult. And now you're forcing me to wave the final fair haven goodbye. Lord, why do you make everything so hard? Welcome to my life. Anyone else feel this way sometimes? God, I'm just trying to do something for you. You called me to this church. You called me to this family, to this marriage, to this job, whatever it is in your life. God, I'm just trying to do something for you. Why do you always have to make it so impossible? When the winds are against us and no fair haven is in sight, we have to remember this. Sometimes we get so concerned with doing something for God that we forget that God is really concerned with what he's doing 
in us. We get so wrapped up. I'm trying to do these things for you, God. Why are you making it so hard? (laughs) God's going to do what God's going to do. He doesn't really need our help. He's much more concerned in the work that he's doing in you and me. Well, the journey continues in verse 13. They cling to false hope against Paul's better judgment. Verse 13, now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Sure enough, Paul knew it was going to happen. The storm came. And a northeaster, we're told, comes down from the island of Crete and it's blowing Paul and his shipmates into the deep, murky waters of the sea. Verse 14, Paul, uh, Luke calls it a tempestuous wind. That is a typhonic wind. It's the word we get uh, typhoon from. So you want to picture them sailing on a wooden boat into the eye of a hurricane. We have a funny thing that we do with hurricanes. We give them names like they're people, right? Hurricane Matthew, Sandy, Hugo. Friendly names. The Greeks and Romans actually did the same thing. They, although they all called their storms Typhon. Listen to how uh, the Greek poet Hesiod describes a Typhon in one of his books. And you can just close your eyes and you can picture this thing. From his shoulders grew a hundred heads of a snake. A fearful dragon with dark, flickering tongues. And from under the brows of his eyes and his marvelous heads flashed fire. And fire burned from his heads as he glared. And there were voices in all his dreadful heads which uttered every kind of sound unspeakable. The noise of a bull bellowing aloud and proud ungovernable fury. The sound of a lion relentless of heart. This typhon would hiss so that the high mountains re-echoed. So as this typhonic dragon of a storm thunders and hisses and pitches the boat with its terrifying winds and flashes of lightning are snaking across the sky. It's as if Satan has come to bring one final destruction down upon Paul. The terrible dragon himself is hell bent on sinking Paul to the bottom of the sea. Verse 18, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since, verse 21, They had been without food for a long time. Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me. (laughs) 
You should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. I guess that's good news. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So everything is stripped away one piece at a time. First, the cargo goes overboard. Then the ship's own tackle. And then finally, when there's nothing left, they have to toss their last shred of hope overboard as well. Verse 20 again. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay upon us, all a hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. God stripped everything away. Why does he do that? He robbed them of their last shred of hope. Why? Why does he bring us to that moment in our life of utter hopelessness where we've tried and we've tried and we've tried and we have expended and exhausted our every last effort and none of it worked. Well, God strips everything away to show Paul and his companions that what they needed wasn't the cargo, wasn't the tackle. We're going to find out wasn't even the ship. Verse 24, look at it with me. He said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. God stripped everything away to show Paul all he needed was God's promise. And that's it. Everything else that you might try to cling to is false hope if it's not the promise of God. God strips everything away so that his promise is our only hope. Paul encourages us this morning. So take heart, men. Take heart, women. Take heart, believer. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. His promise is all we need. We've just sung this morning, let my heart learn. When you speak a word, it will come to pass. <laughs> so Paul's saying here, God said it's going to happen, and it's going to happen exactly as he said it would. But what happens when something more practical than trusting the promise of God comes along? The uncertainty of waiting on the Lord seems foolish whenever you can see there's just land right there on the horizon. Verse 27, the sailors are tempted to take a more practical approach. Let's look at verse 27 together. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found it 20 fathoms, and a little farther they took a sounding again and found the depth to be 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. 
And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's lifeboat into the sea, under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's lifeboat and let it grow. And let it go. I wonder whether sometimes we have the same attitude as the sailors. We say to Paul, you know, we'll trust the promises of your God, Paul, because right now we've got nothing else to go on. But the moment that anything appears on the horizon, we're jumping ship. (laughs) Pragmatism says, abandon ship, take your chances rowing to shore. You'd be a fool not to. Faith says, Stay aboard the sinking ship. In fact, cut the ties with your final lifeboat and trust the promise of God. In our churches, how quick are we to abandon the word of God when something more practical comes along? In our own lives, the scriptures are great when we feel hopeless, but the moment a more practical solution appears, it's like we put this thing back on the shelf. Paul says, uh-uh, salvation is all or nothing. Either you're gonna stay on board and you're gonna trust God's promise and his promise alone, or you're gonna take matters into your own hands and you're gonna perish. This is the way it has to be because the truth is, brothers and sisters, God is determined that when he brings you through that typhon of a storm and when you get to the other side on the day of salvation, guess who and who alone is gonna get the glory? Him. That's the way it's gotta be, Paul says. You're just gonna have to sit on board and wait for him to save you. Well, that morning, Paul does find a way to encourage his companions. Let's look at verse 33. He encourages them, of all methods, by making them breakfast. I love breakfast, so that would be encouraging to me. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today's the 14th day that you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread. Giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing the wheat into the sea. It's a strange place to be. Trusting The Lord's promise alone in the midst of the most terrifying crisis you've ever faced in your life. Almost as strange as having breakfast on the deck of a ship in the middle of a hurricane. Reminds me of a line from Psalm 23. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Of all things, It's Paul's hospitality to his companions that finally gives them some hope. Paul's hospitality, which springs from the hospitality of Jesus himself, who came to offer his own flesh and blood for our nourishment in these very circumstances. 
who invites us to the table where we celebrate together that we are gonna continue to trust God's promise no matter what. This is why time and time again in the book of Acts, and I hope in the life of this church, you find yourself meeting together in your homes, sharing meals together, because it's in our meals together and our sitting down and our contentedly receiving our food with glad and generous hearts as the world is exploding and falling apart around us, we calmly, faithfully say, we're just waiting on the salvation of the Lord. Because it will come. And it does come. Verse 39. And let's see how this story comes to its crashing, climactic finish. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Luke has a very understated way of uh, narrating the climax of this story, doesn't he? I love how he says that. And so it was that all were brought safely to the land. Like, as if, I mean, did we expect anything different to happen? We all knew how the story was going to finish before it even started. When we read God's word, we never wonder how the story's going to end. It's a foregone conclusion. God has always kept his promises, and he always will. But how will God keep his promise? Ah, that's the frustrating bit, isn't it? That's the question we find ourselves asking over and over again in the storm. But how, God? But how? When Paul needed reassurance that God was going to do what he had promised to do, what did God do? He sent an angel in verse 23. And he says this, verse 24, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar. Is that a new promise? No. This is the same promise he heard back in chapter 23. Paul's in the midst of the storm. God doesn't send him some new word. He sends him the same word again. You will stand before Caesar. You will make it to Rome. You see... In our lives, we get into the middle of a storm and sometimes we convince ourselves, you know what, God, you know what I need? I need a new word. I need a new promise. I need to know how. God, I need God to speak into my life about how he's gonna solve this storm. He needs to tell me exactly what's going to happen on these seas. And God comes to Paul, he comes to you and me, and he says, you don't need a new promise. You just need to hear the same promise again. You don't need a new promise from God. Guess what? Every promise that you need for your life today and forevermore is in this book. God has promised you eternal life, salvation, that you will reach your journey's end in Jesus Christ, and that is all that we need. 
But that question lingers, how, but, but how? And it's in the answer to that question where our great story lies. How did God get Paul to Rome? That's where the adventure is. In the crazy storms, the typhoons, the shipwrecks, the starless nights, the sunless days, how will God save us? That's what the journey is for. It's one thing to know the promise of God. It's another thing to experience God keeping those promises. To have no other hope and to hang on to this word for dear life and to find yourself floating safely to the shore. To get to the end of your life and to be able to say, man, what an incredible story. I knew God was going to save me. He promised he would. But who could have guessed that he would have saved me in that way? In our darkest moments, when it's been weeks since we've seen any light, that's when Satan likes to creep in and tell us, God hasn't given you everything you need. He's holding out on you. You need a new promise. It's not true. We don't need a new promise. We don't need God to, you know, write his plan across the sky of our life or make it appear in the alphabet soup, you know, spell out the sentence of what's going to happen to you today. You don't need that. We just need God to keep these promises to us today. Just like he did to Paul and he will for us. And we don't need a lifeboat and we don't need a plan B just in case. When the boat is caught on a reef and the hull is splintering into a thousand pieces, when your life feels like it's about to sink for good this time, folks, <laughs> we need to cast ourselves on the one who has brought us this far and trust his good promises and simply wait on the salvation of the Lord. Which brings us to our closing question this morning. Are you on board with Paul? God promised Paul that not a soul on board the ship would be lost. And when some tried to jump ship, Paul said, listen, you want to be saved? You got to stay on the ship. Even as it's sinking. They all stayed, all 276 of them, Luke tells us. Guess how many of them were saved? All 276 of them. Not a soul was lost. God saved a boat full of prisoners. But you got to be on the boat. And the question is, are you on Paul's boat? Have you believed the gospel that Paul gave his life to proclaim? Do you believe in the Jesus who rescues prisoners from a watery grave? Have you turned from the gods of this world that you've been crying out to and they've not done anything for you? Have you put your faith in the living God who sent his son when we could not even cry out and our bodies were already floating at the bottom of the sea? Do you believe that God sent his son into the Typhon to rescue you and me? Are you on Paul's boat? Because if you are without a doubt, I can guarantee you this morning, you will make it safely to shore. Not one soul will be lost. When life 
is not friends and fair havens. When the wind is in our face, when we find ourselves in the midst of the most terrifying storm we've ever faced and feels like God has stripped everything away from us, when we're tempted to jump ship, brothers and sisters, let us instead cast ourselves upon the mercies of God, a God who has always and always will keep His promise. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.